start i have to tell you guys i lost my list of what bigfoot and alien stuff oh here i found it i had to scroll <laughs> right <laughs> I, had to, I had to scroll back through um this one was called i want to believe so let me get this added to my list because that scrap of paper wasn't in a book all right and then we'll start recording in just a moment Right. I have my uh, Black Ace Freely. Awesome. Oh, no. I don't have mine. <laughs> um, did you uh, come up with any? I did. I came up with a recipe. Will, did you Excellent. get a recipe made? All right. I shall uh, write it down when you when we get to that. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right. Now I can hear myself. Um, I think I can hear both you pretty well. Um, okay. Let me bump up this volume a little bit. And if it's too much for the mic, then I'll turn it down. Okay, give me All right, a... I'll be right back one sec. Okay. He, w- he went to get a, a black ace freely. <laughs> Have you got one? I don't. I need to go get ingredients. Oh. Well, that's the problem is I will get I will get ingredients for this and make it, mm-hmm. but... Uh, yes. I'm not sure how it's going to taste. <laughs> so... There was no experimentation. There was just wild guesswork. <laughs> yeah, mine is excellent. Good. I, yeah, you found it good. I'll say mine, but Emily did all the work. Well, you know. Yeah. Behind but him. what I have at hand here. Yes. Well, shall we intro the thing? Yeah. All right. Uh-huh. I mean, should I do it as screamy Paul Stanley? <laughs> yes. Hey, listeners! Or, you're listening to Chewing! You, <laughs> no, I can't do that. Or uh, you could do J.R. Smalling. <laughs> Which one's that? He's the uh, guy who does the album intro. Oh. You wanted the best? You got the best, yeah. Uh, there, it sounded like two different guys on the two different live albums. Let me just do a, a straight intro on this thing, and then we'll get around to some of this kiss <laughs> okay. peculiarities. Uh, listeners, you are listening to Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. This is a podcast where three friends talk about a horror movie uh, from quarantine these days, but we'll we'll get back to the, the new normal at some point. Um, we will spoil the movie we talk about. We'll try not to spoil the recently watched. And um, we thank the Moonrays for giving us that song, Intro Creature Features, at the top of the show. You can find their music digitally if you want to buy it on Apple Music or iTunes, and you can say hello to them on Facebook where they are, The Moon Dash Rays. We can be found as Chewing the Scenery on both Facebook and Instagram. And you can say hello to us there. We'll see your message. Uh, That's housekeeping, other than to say we're not professional critics. Um, Some of us, um, although not professional mixologists, have one in the house. (laughs) We'll talk about cocktails later, and uh, some some people might be drinking a quarantini, but we're going to be talking about how to <laughs> how to mix your own black ace freely and why we would want to make a drink called that. Um, guys, do you want to kick off recently watched? Okay, Will. Uh, you, know, you want me to go first? Yeah. Kick it. Okay. Uh, the usual Dave, Breaking Bad, and, uh... Full rewatch, or... 
Shadows. Is that a first watch or a rewatch on Breaking Bad? Uh, or not Breaking Bad. I mean, Better Call Saul. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's a first watch. Uh, yeah. So those all, you know, this week's episodes. Um, what else did we watch? I watched something called uh, Antrim, which was called the deadliest movie ever made. It's a uh, supposedly 1970s movie about a boy and girl who dig a hole to hell. And there's a whole meta story around it, how uh, uh, when they screened it in San Francisco in the the 80s, there was a big riot there and some people got trampled and killed. And then they... uh, uh, some people who tried to watch it for a uh, film fest, they all died mysteriously after watching it. It's kind of <laughs> like written. Uh, and they talk about that, uh, you know, and how there's secret images in it and everything. Uh, then they screen the film for you, which unfortunately does not look like a 70s movie. It looks like some people who had some clothes that, could have come from the early 80s maybe Hmm. uh and uh two kids a girl probably about 17 to 20 and a little boy probably uh 9 to 10 they both seem to be maybe the director's own children who aren't real excited to be in the movie especially the little (laughs) boy he uh he acts like he he would constantly saying Dad, I'm tired of being in this movie. And Dad'd be like, "Who's getting a bike? Who's getting a bike?" <laughs> the old bike bribe. And they do it for a little bit longer. Uh, it may have been interesting if they cut out the meta part and just had it as a weird movie with these images that would flash on the screen every once in a while. It probably wouldn't be good anyway. But uh, I don't know. Uh, not a good film um then we watched god i should write these down um oh i watched uh omega man oh that was perfect this was last week but i forgot uh watched omega man i also watched the latest star wars film which uh wow uh, is it garbage unbelievably bad uh a lot of actors that just seem to have really checked out on the whole thing i've not seen that one yet have you richard no i i gotta be honest with you guys i haven't watched any of the new oh you're so smart star wars in how long ago did that one come out five six years ago that one uh with the new trilogy yeah yeah like uh the force rises or yeah force awakens yeah 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 everyone was so excited when they had the trailer and uh then people yeah. people were like they just to make a comparison they were like a bunch of uh 12 and 13 year olds back in the late 70s waiting for that kiss movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's like you got you bowl of popcorn. You're so excited. It was was it Saturday night at the movies on NBC or whatever it was. And holy. October twenty eighth, whenever that was. Yeah, close to Halloween. Deliberately. Yeah. 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 Uh, 
But what so, you, what did you think of the Omega Man? Have you seen that before? Oh yeah, I've seen Omega Man before. I had to watch it. I had to get Gene to watch it. Um, we made a big joke about how they inject blood into the uh, the lady uh, Lisa. I don't remember her name, but her little brother, who's uh, becoming blind and turning into an albino. Anyway. He said some joke about like it's hundred percent pure Anglo-Saxon blood, and then the very next line from the little boy is somebody needs to do something about those people. <laughs> like Steve's already so white. <laughs> those people. <laughs> uh-huh. So uh yeah. I think that's all I've watched. I know I watched other stuff, but yeah. I can't remember. Oh nothing man. good. No. <laughs> Uh, no Lost Empire. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, yeah, I will definitely get a copy to you. It never worked to upload. Okay. Uh, I don't know if my connection's too slow or what, but it just seems to never finish. Mm. So, what about you, Julian? Uh, we've carried on watching um, uh, Psych. Uh, uh, like recent episodes, there's there was one directed by John Landis, uh, and they had the Thursday the twelfth episode where they is kind of a slasher takeoff. Okay. Um, and then uh, there's another recent one where Tony Todd was in it. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's fun. And uh, also been watching uh, the Saint Seiya series, and uh, I watched a documentary called uh, Charles Gamora Uncredited. What's that about? Huh. Charles Gamora, he, uh, if you see a, a gorilla in a movie from the 20s through to the like 50s, yeah. it's probably him. <laughs> uh, so he, he made these four gorilla suits and he, he, he was, you know, he played a gorilla on screen loads of times. And, uh, but he was also a straight makeup man and uh, he was also a sculptor. Um, so you you know, some of the biblical movies where they have huge statues and things. That was, uh, that was Charles Gamora. Wow. Uh, he did the, uh, you know, he did special makeup on um, the 1939 Hunchback of Notre Dame. And, uh, he, uh, yeah, I you know, and it, it, tons of stuff, and like uh, much more than I, I knew before. Um, uh, so he, he was working right up to when he died, like early 60s. Uh, he worked in Jack the Giant Killer. You know, I think that was one of his last gigs. Okay. But uh, yeah, it's a pretty cool uh, documentary. Uh, it's got Bob Burns, Rick Baker, uh, Chris Wallace. Um, yeah, I recommend that. It's on uh, YouTube, so um, don't cost you nothing. That's always nice. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's all I've watched outside well, of TV. Since, since this didn't come up on your recently watched either of you, I have to ask, did you even see when you were on YouTube um, a little something called Kiss Meets the Fuhrer of the Reich? No. <laughs> okay, so so somebody somebody took a Hitler film, you know, like a, 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 not, a, not documentary, but uh, a film where an actor is depicting Adolf Hitler in some World War II, probably historical context, and uh, they overdubbed it. So he was pitching a fit about wanting to go see Kiss 
and not wanting to see uh, Eric Singer or Tommy Thayer. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, I saw I saw the title of it and I went, okay, what is this? And uh, it was just a funny overdub. But uh, yeah, that's that's a YouTube thing you can find, and it's pretty fun. Um, so my recently watched, um, sometimes late at night, I will put on some Bigfoot or UFO stuff so I could just watch that and, uh, enjoy a, uh, you know, a thing that might be good or might not be good. And, uh, there's a good mix of both things and a lot in between. Uh, I watched one that was just kind of a, you know, sort of a homemade uh, documentary that was uh, pretty capably filmed and recorded, uh, the sound recording, uh, called Alien Contact, the Pascagoula Incident from 2019. Pascagoula? Yeah, that's in, uh, I think, Mississippi. So a guy who experienced this UFO incident um, found out that there were other people who experienced it too because he was out playing with some friends and saw this, you know, big orange ball of light move across the sky in impossible ways and it was closer than any aircraft should have been. And I want to say this was in the 60s, like the late 50s or early 60s. I, I would have to look it up, uh, but I watched this probably six days ago. And uh, so he he hunts down some other people who uh, also experienced the same contact or the same uh, sighting, but but one of the uh, one of the people he hunts them down. Well, hunts them down, and he, he doesn't hunt them down. He he okay. he seeks them out. Okay. <laughs> so he's not wearing camouflage and carrying a rifle. Although he wouldn't really stick out in Mississippi if he did. They'd be like, "Hey, mass rifle." <laughs> but anyway, uh, he gets a hold of one guy who um, who was one of two fishermen who say that they were. Uh, abducted and taken aboard a ship and experimented on. And there's even a book about it. And then a woman who works at some office and they didn't really show what office or where, maybe it was a library. Maybe it was, I don't know, the DMV. She, she saw the thing pretty close up as well. So that was interesting. Um, as far as like experiencers, uh, in a documentary, um, I watched, um, Jolien, I don't know if you had dug into this or not, but in, on Shudder, Cursed Films, you had not watched that series? Uh-uh. Oh, okay. Cursed it, Films. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, so on Shudder, you can watch a series where each episode is meant to be a half hour of television. So they're 26 to 29 minutes long to allow for commercials if it were to air on television. But it's a, a Shudder original and it covers The Exorcist. The Omen, Poltergeist, The Crow, and Twilight Zone, the movie. And these so were. This all... is movies where people have been killed. Right. Or other, you know, bad things happen surrounding the movie. Um, but yeah, it was, it was super interesting. And uh, the material, um, or I should say the subject matter, was handled uh, pretty straightforward and, and with, with a lot of care where needed because, uh, like, John Landis was was very haunted by, uh, you know, the, the death of Vic Morrow and two children filming the twilight zone movie. Uh, he was very troubled by that, of course. And, uh, so they handled the, you know, the, 
the deaths with care and, and, and that was nice to see, but they didn't pull any punches as far as telling you specifically what happened. And, uh, it's a good watch. So I definitely recommend that. Uh, um, cursed films. Yeah. On shutter. And I know, I know you can get that. Right. (laughs) And I watched a documentary called, I want to believe. And it's about people who, uh, are into, um, well, all the different, uh, and I don't have it on screen here. I, I just made a note of it, but it's, uh, it's people who are into uh, the whole UFO uh, phenomenon and the other phenomena. Um, and that one, that one was pretty good. Uh, I know I watched one about um, like men in black, uh, not starring Will Smith, but uh, there was one, I think it was called Mirage men. Um, that was one that should have been on my, on my recently watched last time, but wasn't, I forgot to write it down and take some notes on it. Um, I remember liking it, but I'd have to rewatch it to tell you for sure. Now, the one I really enjoyed, um, this is one from 2014 called Monster Madness, Mutants, Space Invaders, and Drive-Ins. And this covers a lot of... what? Drive-Ins? Drive-Ins, like drive-in movie theaters. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, it it just takes you kind of through like the 1950s sci-fi uh, genre and, and sort of shows you where it started out with some really good movies and then quickly went schlocky. Um, people like Arkoff, of course, you know, helped with making things nice and schlocky, but, uh, it talks about movies like destination moon, the man from planet X, uh, cat women on the moon, uh, earth versus the flying saucers. And there's, there are a few good jabs at plan nine from outer space. Um, but they talk about some good movies like the, you know, the day the earth stood still and the thing from another world. So it's pretty cool. And you get some, uh, you get some good interviews. You know, a lot of the interview footage seems to be kind of old, but, uh, you get Forrest Ackerman and some people like that. So it's pretty neat. Um, that's one you can get on Amazon prime for no additional cost. And, uh, for people who like stuff like we like, and our listeners, I would assume like, uh, it's, it's a fun watch. It's, it's pretty light as far as stuff goes. Um, I watched a few kiss things on uh, YouTube. Uh, in addition to kiss meets the Fuhrer of the Reich, I watched an unauthorized documentary called larger than life. Um, I watched some interview footage when the band was finally okay to talk about kiss meets the phantom again. Some of the band members talking about, uh, kiss meets the phantom. So there's one called kiss meets the phantom revisited. And then a VH1 special called Kiss Beyond the Makeup from 2001, which if you can sit through the painful period in the 80s where they're all like prancing around wearing brightly colored. Uh, basically, they, yeah. were, they were trying to be poisoned for a couple of years and that didn't work the, out. The Desmond Child years. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so they, they were glamming uh, pretty, pretty heavily, hair meddling their way around. Um, now. Do either one of you want to start with your history with uh, this? We won't say horror movie, but horrible movie. Like, yeah, I hadn't heard of this until about three or four years ago. Really? Wow. Yeah. Were you a Kiss fan at all as a kid? No. Oh, lucky you. You didn't have to go through the disappointment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I I remember them being on chips is probably the earliest I heard of Kiss. Yeah. And, uh, 
Yeah, they were they were kind of done when I, you know, started listening to music regularly. Yeah, if you didn't have like an older sibling that was heavily into them, you probably wouldn't have experienced them. Yeah. If you're not into them by the time you're 15, then you're not. Right. And if you're yeah. st- and if you're still into them at 15, you're going to still be into them at 50. Yeah. I think that's kind of how that one works out. Because, yeah, I bailed by about 13 or 14 years old and uh, discovered some better stuff. But, uh, Jolien, what about you? Uh, you're about the right age to have been into them. Uh, and I know that you have some of their, some of their stuff. So, oh, yeah. Tell me, tell me about your history with this band. Uh, yeah, I definitely got into them around uh, Creatures of the Night. Uh, I think that was one of the first albums I bought for myself. Okay. Um, and uh, the videos were showing on TV. Um, and, uh, and then because of playing that, my brother got into them and he bought everything. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we had we had all their albums and vinyl up to up to uh, think lick it up. I think he, he kept going after that. Actually, he, he was he was into the animalized years and stuff like that. Really? Wow. Yeah, <laughs> but I, uh, I, but even then, I thought most of their studio stuff was just lame. It sounded really weak. Yeah. Um, but the the first couple of live albums was uh, yeah they're, they're quite fun. I still play those. Yeah, the um, uh, got a bit of energy to it, and, and retains a bit their uh, their roots, like they're into like New York Dolls and MC Five. Oh yeah. Uh, so you can yeah, you still get that energy off them. Um, you know they're they're pretty uh, uh, you know they don't break any barriers as far as the music goes, but it's, it's still kind of fun to listen to that stuff. Yes. So so your your starting point with them. Uh, the, the cool thing about that was you could kind of skip backward over some of the disappointment and get to some of their better albums. Yeah. I, uh, my, my brother got all of them and I heard the, um, like the solo albums. They were just terrible. Like some of the worst stuff I'd ever heard. Oh yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the first two are live ones and, um, uh, Chris the night and destroyer is some good stuff on it. But, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, this this movie is where they you know they they gone over their peak about seventy seven I think uh-huh. seventy six seventy seven and then this was just like a major milestone and downhill. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, not really into any stuff after that. It was interesting that um, that they peaked with uh, Bob Ezrin producing because he had handled acts like Alice Cooper and uh, and knew what he was doing. Yeah, I think Eric Kramer produced the live ones. Was it? He's the first couple. Yeah, and I think I think Ezrin was like on Destroyer and uh, Love Gun. I think I think were the, his okay. his two efforts back to back. And uh, yeah, he came from some uh, you know some theatrical rock and roll. And uh, I would have to say, uh, let me see if it says here. I've got a timeline, like Kiss chronology, probably spelled with a K. Um, Let's see. Uh, I want to see if they say on here that it was Ezrin producing. I'm pretty sure it was. Any heavy duty like Kiss listeners or or um, Kiss fans listening <clears throat> would be like, "What's wrong with you guys?" Yeah, just Des- <laughs> Destroyer was Bob Ezrin. Um, 
And then I want to see if Love Gun was also him. But it doesn't matter. I think he was on both of those. But this is a guy who had like really good experience, like taking a band who had, you know, some some good musical uh, ideas and making them sound as good as they can sound or expanding it in a different direction they might not think of. And, you know, so if, if uh, you know, you've gotten Eddie Kramer and then Bob Ezrin and, and all these guys who really know what they're doing with a rock band, all you got to do is show up, which didn't always happen. <laughs> I found out from some of these documentaries, like there's yeah. actually, there's actually some stuff, I, I want to say it was on Rock and Roll Over, where Ace Freely was like, nah, I'm not, I'm not, going, yeah. in, not going in today. Yeah. Right. And someone else recorded the solos. Yeah. Uh, I think when uh, Tommy Thayer was, uh, like when they were doing their first uh, reunion stuff, um, I think in the, what was that, early 90s? Yeah. Mid-90s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Tommy Thayer was like a fan who had to come in and teach uh, Ace Freely how to play the stuff he used to play. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm going to teach you your songs. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. That's yeah. He, he well, he was yeah. That was a pretty long departure from the band. But uh, so you wouldn't have been um, you wouldn't have been a kid waiting for this this fantastic movie to come on. No. Oh lordy. Um, yeah, I was uh, not into them yet when they were on the Paul Lind Halloween special, but I got to say, I've seen that two or three times, <clears throat> like on YouTube, and it's a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, uh, he has, um, oh, what's her name from uh, Wizard of Oz that played the witch? Uh, Dorothy. No. Um, oh, goodness. Right out of my head. Yeah, same. Mark Hamilton. Yes. Margaret Hamilton. There yeah, you go. There, you, there you are. So Margaret Hamilton was on there and, and uh, she's dressed up like the Wicked Witch and Kiss is standing there with Paul Lind and he's like, <laughs> doing his usual thing. <laughs> and uh, apparently he was a mean drunk, <laughs> but he looked sober enough on this special. So that was kind of fun until they played Beth. But uh, they played Detroit Rock City and King of the Nighttime World. So that was kind of cool. But their first real TV appearance was in April uh, 29th, 1974, when they performed Firehouse on the Mike Douglas show. And then Gene Simmons came out and sat down for the interview. And uh, the funniest thing was, uh, what, what was her name? Tony Fields was sitting there. And she looks at Gene Simmons and says, uh, uh, to think that... Maybe there's a nice Jewish boy under there. Yeah, maybe there's a, <laughs> yeah, a nice Jewish boy under the makeup. <laughs> And uh, everyone had a good laugh about that later because that's exactly what was going on. Um, but the band. Emily's actually met Gene Simmons. Oh, that's right. Uh, at the bookstore. Is that right? Yeah. Emily used to work at an independent bookstore in town and uh, he came in to sign his book Um whatever that was called. Was that Kiss and Makeup? Was that his? I'm not sure. But anyway, anyway, he came to sign and she, uh, yeah, she remembers, uh, uh, you know, because obviously he was, he was without his makeup, but um, she says he looked, he looked like a schlub. Um, <laughs> but he was, he was professional about it. He signed everything. He stayed to sign everything and uh, say hello to everyone. And... Uh, and, you know, he'd, he'd tongue wrestle with whatever woman wished to do so. 
Of course. Um, yeah, so she she had that honor. She did she did not tongue wrestle with him, but uh, she has actually met him. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got a uh, a pretty good sense about marketing himself. Uh, you know, and of course, Kiss has turned out to be nothing but a bunch of licensing. Uh, and they, they always relied heavily on, uh, you know, their heyday. I, I will say that without fear of retribution, you know, Kiss relies on when they were their original lineup and with their makeup and making rock albums that kids liked and some adults too. Um, there is no shortage of crap that they will put the logo and the faces on. Oh yeah. There's a kiss coffin. That's right. <laughs> kiss condoms, you know, so you don't end up in a kiss coffin. Yeah. You know, the kind of cross marketing there. <laughs> um, this, this was, uh, something where when they were new, uh, or earlier in their career, all you wanted as a kiss fan was like a t-shirt and, you know, maybe the belt buckle or some pins or something. You just wanted something, anything. And then, they started putting the merchandise order sheets in the albums. And there you could get, just clip out the little coupon, fill it out, send your money, and you could get stuff. And so they uh, they would have uh, little extras in some of the albums, you know, like the double live album, uh, Kiss Alive had a book in it. Uh, Kiss Alive 2 had uh, a, a booklet in it and then some uh, temporary tattoos that you soak in water and, and stick them on your arm. All that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, Love Gun had a little pop gun. I don't know if you guys ever saw that. It was a folded no. it was a folded cardboard gun. And uh, Google it, uh, but it had like a piece of paper so when you'd you know, take the thing and move it in a downward direction, it would like a parachute, it would pop open and it would say bang or something. Huh. So yeah, Love Gun had that. Uh, rock and roll. Did, did, uh... Did Big Black ever do something like that? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, on the Songs About Fucking album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Big Black, what a great band. Um, Steve Albini, anyway. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so, Jolien, when's the first time you saw Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park? I. It wasn't that long ago. Uh, yeah, it just, it's, it was hard to see. I think the only way you can get it on DVD is with the, uh, is it like Kiss Chronology? Uh, Kiss Chronology Volume 2. Yeah. I think that's the only only place you can see it on DVD legitimately. Really? I thought it was all just bad copies. Everyone? Like the uh, Star Wars Holiday Special. Right. Yeah, they were kind of embarrassed by it for the longest time for some reason. And... Uh, <laughs> Why? Yes, yeah, so you. So it wasn't like properly released by itself, as far as I know. Yeah, uh, it was released theatrically in in Europe. So uh, weird. That's the version you can find online. The, the extended oh. European theatrical cut. Um, the original US cut. They had uh, most of the uh, that the uh, incidental music is by White Curtain, one of Hanna Barbera's standbys. Yes. Uh, but on the European cut, it's mostly off the solo albums. Oh, oh no. okay. really? Ugh. Yeah. 
That's insane. When you see Gene Simmons fighting the security guards uh, on the European cat, it's uh, radioactive off the Gene Simmons album. Oh, okay. But in the in the US cut, it was a white curtain, like ditty. That's so <laughs> funny, like the, the, the Scooby Doo music. Yeah. Wow. So um, when this uh, when this came out, I was there at the TV waiting to watch this, and. Um, <laughs> Of course, in those days, there was one television in the house, and uh, if someone was going to watch something, everyone else, if they were going to watch TV, watched what was on. They didn't go into their uh-huh. own space with their own screen, unless maybe you had a little more money. You might have had a second television in a rec room or something, but usually there was one in the living room or the rec room, and that was it for the house. Um, if you were in the years where you had graduated from a black and white TV to a color TV, then the black and white TV may have ended up in some other room. But I remember my dad noticing that Anthony Zerbe, I assume it's pronounced Zerbe and not Zerb, uh, was uh, a well-known cowboy actor. He, he was in a lot of Westerns. He would play a villain because he kind of had those Jack Nicholson yeah. looking eyebrows. I remember, remember him as a villain in lots of 70s TV. Yeah. And of course, uh, Omega Man. Yeah. So. So you got, uh, oh man. So didn't know going into it that it was a Hanna-Barbera production because the first place your mind is going to go is the cartoons. Yeah. From Flintstones to present, all the cartoons you watched were Hanna-Barbera pretty much. Or, you know, there were old ones, but, um. Something didn't feel right about it when it started. Like it started out kind of strong. Like they were, they were superimposing kiss, like looking all gigantic over these roller coasters. And, and it's like, Oh wow. Okay. So they're straight into this. It's a, it's an amusement park and kiss is all giant. And they're, you know, they're playing rock and roll all night. And that was pretty much the peak of the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, that half, it takes half an hour for them to turn out. Yeah, so it pretty much goes straight downhill, and then you're finally excited, you know, when you're 13, 12 or 13. You're super excited that, okay, no, it's Kiss. And they don't really do much. They, they just kind of uh, walk around and say a lot of stilted dialogue, and Gene Simmons <laughs> makes a bunch of lion roars and echoey sounds, and Ace Freely kind of goes... It just makes that little ack sound. And as a kid, you're wondering what the fuck is going on here? What is, there's something wrong. Now you, you've got other family members sitting around who, who are really not wanting to put up with all your kiss nonsense, watching this movie and looking at you like, yeah, you're dumb for being into this. <laughs> this is garbage. No, no, I swear they're really good. No, this is garbage. So, um, yeah, they look like a bunch of buffoons. And uh, at least two of them were having fun while they were filming it. You know, Peter and Ace were just, uh, they were off on their own adventures most of the time. <laughs> Apparently they only had their lines just before they did the shot. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like that. <laughs> Do either one of you want to talk about the quote unquote plot of this movie? Uh, sure. <laughs> yeah. A scientist who works at a amusement park uh, has developed some animatronic people that are indistinguishable from real people. 
Okay. Uh, he's fired, and then he he decides to plot revenge using these animatronic creatures, specifically uh, ones that look like the members of Kiss. Huh. Now, yeah. does he have a secret underground lair? How does he do this? Oh, sure, of course. Okay. I'm with it. All right. Yeah. Does they, it... they didn't go with him being uh, hideously disfigured in a fire or something. Hmm. True. No. So if you were to describe this, now it's got a band in it, and it's got some like futuristic technology, would you say it was like a Hard Day's Night meets Star Wars? Oh, exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> For our listeners, that's how... Oh, but uh, I really want a Hard Day's Night meets Star Wars movie. I want to yeah. see, see the Beatles killing people with lightsabers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Yeah. Now that I said it out loud. He wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think Paul McCartney seems too nice to kill anyone with a lightsaber. <laughs> but I understand that he accidentally killed himself with his lightsaber and they just found a lookalike to fill in. Right. <laughs> so. A clown, if you would. Yes. So, I like how uh, Paul Stanley can shoot laser beams out of his eyes and then walk down the laser beams. Yes. Yes. Yeah. How does that work? That's clever. Yeah. I was wondering how that worked too. And for the listeners who don't know, um, of of Hanna-Barbera fame, Joseph Barbera, I believe, was the one who told the band that this was going to be a Hard, na- a hard Day's Night meets Star Wars which they didn't call A New Hope back then. They just called it Star Wars. Um, but um, it turned out to be anything but that. <laughs> yeah. Now, if they had called it um, A Fire Meets a Dumpster, uh, <laughs> that might have been more accurate. It, it was the number two rated TV movie of 1978. Right behind Shogun. Roots. Shogun, okay. Yeah, it's based on the... Oh, okay based on the James Clavell book, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Shogun. Um, Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. I would say, yeah, they're in the same arena in, in terms of, uh, you know, the integrity of people who wrote the things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm with, I'm, I'm with the comparison. Um, so Ace and Peter were ahead of the curve, hating this shitty movie and wanting to get out of the band. Uh, they, yeah. they stuck around a little longer. Peter was the first to go. Peter Chris quit the band. Um, Ace, I don't know, maybe he lacked the motivation to move on, but he stuck around, I think, about two more years, maybe. If I'm remembering. Yeah, they kept giving them chances, but they were both gone by the early 80s. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so this came out in late 78. Uh, I would say as far as clever merchandising they were hitting their stride right around this time as far as pumping out a lot of products to sell to young people so from i don't know you you could buy some posters and stuff back in like 76 77 but when you got to 78 79 oh there was so much stuff with kiss's image on them yeah including jigsaw they were not in terms of studio albums, they were like the first three albums hadn't done well, and then they did a live, and that made them huge. Yes, and then they they did like destroying that, and they they, they sold well, but uh, then their albums were flagging off again, and they did uh, live too. And, yes, and this movie, and then merchandising was the big uh, money maker. 
Yeah. And and uh, when you know that you can make your money off of just plastic crap with your yeah faces on it, why not get that money while you can get it? Um, so they had uh, a, a pretty good manager for all this stuff, Bill O'Coin. Um, he seemed to know how to keep the band moving toward making money. And of course he helped facilitate some bad ideas and some bad directions. So they did eventually part ways with him. And I, I don't know exactly when that was. I'm sure again, a real hardcore kiss fan that never lost interest could probably tell you, but, uh, yeah, they parted ways with Bill O'Coin, but, um, I think Gene Simmons by then had kind of learned how to, you know, keep the marketing stuff moving forward and, uh, how to probably own the images of the two members who had left as far as the makeup design and all that stuff, because he seems to keep making money off of it, whether those original guys are wearing it or not. But back to the movie, let's, uh, let's talk about it. So this Okay. So, uh, we'll describe the plot. Uh, we've got, we've got robot kiss and, uh, well, what do they do? Will? what does robot kiss got to do in this movie? I don't remember what they do. Not a lot. I think they play a song out of tune. Yeah. yeah they, they play a, they play a version of hotter, hotter than hell with the lyrics replaced by rip and destroy. Yeah. Oh, okay. and then that, of course that makes all the audience turn into uh, you know, a bunch of vandals. Yeah. Yeah. Now they had had a fight with, with the, with these, uh, these teen punks that were, uh, causing some trouble, didn't they? And I know they got in a fight with some security guards and like, yeah, they fight some werewolves yes. and security guards. Yes, robot. It werewolves. was a lot like a, a Marvel comic from about 1975. Yeah. But this was just after the uh, Kiss comic came out. Yeah, yeah, it reads a lot like that. Marvel Super Special Kiss. Yeah, September 1977. Yeah. Another good idea. And they and they actually drew vials of blood from Kiss and put it in the printer's ink. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. Now, that was, you know, potentially just a, you know, like, myth or rumor. But there's actual footage of them with the blood pouring it in, whether it is actual blood, whether they actually drew it from Kiss. Who knows? They're all hanging upside down with their throats cut. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this probably would have been a good point to do that if you were I'm probably uh, confusing it is with uh, Legend of the Golden Vampires <laughs> yeah well I get the two confused all the time um, yeah so the ABC movie of the week or I'm sorry NBC movie of the week let's make sure we blame the right um, <laughs> broadcast network um, NBC movie of the week Kiss Meets the Fan of the Park premiered in prime time on October 28th which um, I think was on Saturday night. And you'd think, well, this terrible movie where Robot Kiss is fighting real Kiss, supposedly, and uh, all this stuff is going on, and the movie just gets worse from there and ends up being a big <laughs> steaming pile of garbage. Uh, what, what could possibly go wrong? Like, it's only uphill from here, right? Well, now they, in May of 79, they released Dynasty. Yeah. Where, I think Pete Chris plays one song on that. That's, yeah, I seem to remember hearing that. Like, they had a session drummer come in and uh, take care of the rest. 
and it had a very disco sound. If you uh, don't agree, listen to it again. Um, Is that the one with I Was Made for Loving You on it? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And it was on Casablanca, which had a lot of disco acts on it, so it, okay. it was going to happen eventually, I guess. So, uh, but it, it, it was, um, the, the song was a, a gold record, so I guess somebody liked it. A lot of people liked it. Um, Julian, did you spot Brian James from Blade Runner in this movie? Oh, yeah. He's one of the gods. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, uh, Blade Runner had uh, robot uh, uh, replicants. And oh, yeah. If you so you're, you're saying Blade Runner ripped off this movie? That's where I was going. Yeah. Unless the people who wrote this ripped off Philip K. Dick. And then, or a uh, bionic man. Yeah, yeah, there is the bionic man. That's true. Yeah, cy- cybernetic uh, organisms and actually, the bionic man, bionic woman had uh, the fembots. That's right, fembots later stolen by uh, the Austin Powers movies. <laughs> um, there were some stuntmen that played their doubles. But yes. sometimes also played them. Now, a name that you saw a lot back then in the movie credits was Buddy Joe Hooker, who played Peter Chris in double on this movie. And he was a he was yeah. a very good stuntman, very good stunt driver. Um, he had some brothers or family members with the same last name, which kind of stands out when you're reading credits. You see Hooker go by, and oh, Buddy Joe Hooker, and there's Bobby yeah. Joe Hooker, and you know, guys like that. And, uh- Pete Chris is also voiced by Michael Bell. Yeah. So he was played by two different people. Yeah. It's like it took three people for him to just show up. Yeah. So Michael Bell was one of Hanna-Barbera's voice actors. He, he was uh, he played grouchy, handy, and lazy Smurf. That's right. <laughs> I wrote that down somewhere, too, that he was voiced by a Smurf. Yeah. He played Red, red Beard on Scooby-Doo. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and I also had the the, uh, the stuntman who played Ace Freely. I had him written down. Uh, Alan Erlini. There you go. Uh, so he was a black man who, if you're wearing Ace Freely makeup and you're moving quickly, you may not notice, but there's a few, a few scenes where you kind of notice, especially if you if now that you know to be looking for it. Yeah. Uh, so that's a nice segue into talking about drink recipes. Um, Black Ace Freely just sounded like a cocktail to me, so I asked you guys if you wanted to come up with your own recipe for what would be a Black Ace Freely. So, Jolien, uh, your wife being a mixologist... Uh, yes. ...came up with a delicious recipe. Tell us what that is. So listeners, right. get, listeners, get your pens out. All right. I shall, uh, I shall repost this on Facebook. Okay. Uh, one part coffee liqueur. Okay. Two parts rum. Okay. Uh-huh. Half part simple syrup. Okay. Two dashes orange bitters. Okay. So? Uh, you have the option of a spiced sugar ring for a bit of glitter. And then uh, you shake it over ice and strain. Excellent. So it's uh, yes. it's it's shaken up, it's strained, it's bitter, and it's kind of simple. 
Yeah, it tastes sweet though. It's very nice. Yes, I like this. And then uh, she even did a white ace freely option, which is uh, one part Irish cream liqueur and two parts rum, light, and dark orange bitters. Excellent. I don't like that one as much though. Okay. So you serve this in a, um, oh, what do you call that kind of glass? A martini glass. There you go. Excellent. Um, Will, did you come up with a recipe? I did not. That's, no. a, that's okay. I got one. Um, I haven't tried this because I haven't made another trip to the liquor store. I've been trying to limit trips to grocery or liquor stores. Oh, to... we, we just do it all as I was in. Oh, that's, you can do that. That's right. Yeah. So um, there's there's a lovely black rum. I believe Myers makes the black rum, um, or dark rum anyway. So mine yeah. is, mine is one part um, dark rum, one part um, creme de coco, and two parts chocolate stout. So we're gonna mix beer with rum, and liqueur. Now, mm. I could be one part one part dark rum, one part creme de creme de coco. Creme de cocoa. And then two parts chocolate stout. Two parts chocolate stout, okay. Now, if I'm wrong on this, um, I'll still finish the thing. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me <laughs> as a person who drinks things, but, uh, you know, if it was the last thing left and it tasted terrible, I would probably finish it anyway. I wouldn't drink five of them, but, you know, I would finish the one I mixed. So we'll see if mine turns out okay. Yours, I can tell, is good because you've had them more than once. Mm-hmm. Not just upon inventing it, but you're having one now. Yes. <laughs> so to celebrate this whole thing, uh, this whole movie, that uh, let's have something that has uh, has uh, good taste to it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the the members of Kiss are from different parts of New York. Um, Paul and Jean are essentially from Queens. Um, Peter is from Brooklyn and Ace is from the Bronx. So that's why when you hear the band talk, you hear varying uh, degrees of New York accent. The I'd, I'd say the Bronx being probably the heaviest and Brooklyn right behind it and Queens not quite as heavy. But uh, these guys are definitely old school New Yorkers. And it was kind of weird to not hear as much of a uh, Brooklyn accent on Peter with his voice, the uh, voiceover actor. But when you hear Ace Freely interviewed, man, that Bronx accent is heavy. But you don't pick it up in this movie because all he says is, ah! <laughs> it's like a parrot. And he has the power. Okay, so so Paul has the powers to shoot laser beams and even walk on them. Um, uh-huh. But Ace can make this hitchhiking motion. And with his thumb, teleport himself or the whole band. Yeah. So yeah. Powers? I think these will come from the comic. Oh, okay. I never got my hands on the comic. Mm-mm. No I, did I. I saw it on the newsstand when it was when it just came out and didn't have the money to buy it. And like a week later when I did have the money, it was already sold out, gone. So that happened. Um what else is there to say about this movie except for the plot um, brings us around to concert footage a few times. Yeah. And it's other than the rip, rip, rip and destroy crap off tune song that makes the audience angry. Um, 
pretty much everything else is just uh, album versions that where they're lip syncing. No, I think uh, uh, Shout It Out Loud is definitely live. Is it? Is yeah. It? I always... Uh, yeah, the sound on that is like probably the worst of those, the live numbers, but it's like the most high energy. Just seems like them just uh, going for it live. You know, the, what might explain this is there was a version of this that I watched that was cutting between different sources of the footage and I suspect somebody might have overdubbed maybe the Kiss Alive 2 version of Shout It Out Loud. Oh, okay. Maybe. But yeah, did... maybe someone did that because it sounds clearer when they you know, when they did the final uh, mixes. But, uh, yeah, the, in, in the movie I saw, it was uh, that was probably the worst sounding bit, but hmm. the most energetic performance. Yeah. Now, when you first see them, they're... Uh, playing they're doing like uh when the uh all the platforms go up in the air yeah uh, and i think they edited it so that you know that's the finale of their usual concerts but uh they they made it look like it was the start of their, their concert yeah like this is just normal for them <laughs> um was there anyone else in the movie that stood out as anyone important in acting i, I kind of feel like they're other than uh a famous radio DJ playing himself in the movie, a guy named Don Steele. I don't think anyone else really stood out. No, it's just Anthony Zerp. Uh, Deborah Ryan played Melissa. Mm-hmm. We had uh, three characters named Chopper, Slime, and Dirty D. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, don't remember seeing them uh, in anything after this. Uh, the head of Flegel from the Banana Splits is in the laboratory. Yeah, you mentioned that on the last show. That So I, I haven't gone back to find that scene yet, but uh, yeah, Flegel. Yeah. Uh, so have either of you seen the uh, the animated film, uh, Scooby-Doo and Kiss, Rock and Roll Mystery? Uh, no. Tried to find it. Could, <laughs> couldn't get my hands on it for without paying money. Yeah, I, I've, got, I've got it recorded on... Uh, the TV. Um, so this one's got uh, uh, Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, uh, Tommy Thayer voicing uh, Spaceman, and uh, Eric Singer as Catman. And uh, and it's got uh, the Scooby Doo gang. Uh, and then various voices are done by Jennifer Carpenter, Gary Marshall, Penny Marshall, uh, Paulie Perret, uh, Delilah Domino as Delilah Domino. Um, and this one has actually got some like funny stuff in it. There's loads of kiss in jokes. Like, uh, one of the, like this mystical, uh, power source is called the black diamond. Oh, nice. Um, et cetera. And then when they go into this, uh, other dimension called Kisteria, uh, it's really seventies Kirby. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's quite entertaining. Um, you know, it's got all the like Kirby crackle and, uh, oh, yeah, it, yeah, it was really quite fun. Cool. Um, yeah, enjoyed that one. When was that released? Uh, 2015. It was direct to TV. Oh, okay. It, direct to uh, direct to video. I'm sorry. Um. So was. So it was a a thing that you could buy, but not something. Yeah. That, not something they did uh, like a broadcast premiere of. No, I don't think so. Have you ever seen the snippets on uh, Family Guy where it's Kiss Saves Christmas? 
Yeah. I saw the bit where uh, it was, I don't know what show it was on, it was Saturday Night Live, or, or I think it was Mad TV, where Kiss came on and they're, they're doing the, uh, the Peanuts sketch, and uh, Peter Chris just gets a rock. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, there was a, they, they kept cutting back to this uh, Kiss, Kiss Saves Christmas special uh, on an episode of Family Guy. And it would be some inexplicable thing, like all of a sudden, uh, one of them is trying to fight off pterodactyls in, in a nest somewhere, <laughs> and they're hanging from helicopter ladders and crap like that. I, I haven't seen it in a long time, but it is pretty funny. Like, you really want that to be a real thing, but it isn't. And uh, making fun of them is more fun than them just really doing something straight. <laughs> I mean, honestly, them making fun of themselves on Scooby-Doo is better than having them make something and try and... Well, all right, it's a question for both of you. Uh, if you could go back in time and see a band, you know, at a certain year, who would you go and see? I know my answer. Will, how about you? Uh, I'd have to go see the Beatles and the Cavern Club and... Oh, yeah. Three or something. You just made it harder. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see like Kiss in about 76, 77 when they're that, at their musical peak. That that was going to be my and answer. Fans are really crazy about them. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, like on the Destroyer tour. Yeah. Yeah. I would, yeah, for sure. Because uh, when they recorded Kiss Alive in 1975, they would have been touring for Dress to Kill, right? Yeah, it's just the first three albums. Yeah. Okay, so they would have been touring for Dress to Kill. Um, plenty of good songs, you know, and they were probably well-practiced. But uh, I think 76 gives you some more stuff off of the new album, and yeah, Destroyer would have been the tour to see them on. And that would be... Yeah. I would say if you could pick three, I would definitely say um, Kiss in, in on the Destroyer tour, um, Maybe Led Zeppelin on uh, their fourth album <gasps> tour. That would have right. been stunning. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and of course, the Beatles or the Stones, man, like in, in the in the mid-60s to late 60s would have been a pretty cool mm-hmm. experience too. But did yeah, the Beatles, I don't, don't know, like, when they're at their height, you wouldn't be able to hear the music. Over the screaming, yeah. yeah yeah, that would have probably so, ruined so like it. We, we, we all said about seeing them at the cavern. That would be that would be great. That would be ideal. yeah. That's yeah. why I picked that over, say, uh, you know, Candlestick Park in '66 when you, yeah, yeah, you wouldn't be able to hear them, and they played real fast because they wanted to get it over with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough because there's so many great acts. I mean, like, who wouldn't want to see Elvis in '68? You know, with his oh. with his comeback and uh, oh yeah. You know, who even just for the sake of history, who wouldn't want to see that? You know, even if they're not a huge Elvis fan, um, who wouldn't want to see um, Buddy Holly at the height of his powers? Uh, who, right. You know, all these James Brown. Yeah. Ooh. James Brown for sure. Um, even Parliament when they first were really kind oh, of to say Parliament. Yeah, when they had the flying saucer. <laughs> yeah. Like I saw the P-Funk All-Stars and it was amazing. But by about the end of two and a half hours, you're like, all right, I, they wore, okay. 
They wore me out. I'm going home. I don't know how much longer they're going to play. Because they had yeah. like 17 band members and they could just keep rotating out and taking breaks. So they never had to stop. Yeah. <laughs> but it was pretty amazing still. Yeah. But um, I never got to see Nirvana. Although I was living in the Pacific Northwest and they were supposed to play, but you know, it snowed on the pass and they couldn't come over from Seattle or whatever. I was living in Spokane. There were a few times I, that I could have gone and seen them if they hadn't canceled their shows and then they got huge. So not yeah. much, not much I could say about that except, you know, there's no going back. You know, there's no, there's no seeing them now. Uh, it's the holographs. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Yeah, when is uh when is VR going to be good enough to fool us for real? So, I don't know, man. Um so did both of you make it all the way through this movie? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's uh it's bad in a really entertaining way. I'm I'm not bored by it. It's uh it's just fun all the way through. Yeah. Yeah, the the um there's a mind control device and they restore, uh, Oh, what's his name? There's a mind control device on Sam and Paul Stanley removes it. And he's like, there you go. You're back to normal now. You know, and <laughs> <laughs> there's only two Paul Stanley voices, screamy live Paul Stanley and uh cowardly lion, Paul Stanley. Hey fellas. Yes. <laughs> Those robots look just like us. I, I highly recommend listeners go back to the Dana Gould episode where Dana was doing one Paul Stanley and you were doing the other. Oh, that's right. He does a really funny Bert Lahr, Paul Stanley. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about, because uh, their their kids go to school together. Or no, they're, they're in the same community. They don't go to school together. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he was talking about... How they will see Paul Stanley around the neighborhood, and uh, my joke was something about taking the kids for frozen yogurt, and uh, yeah. <laughs> oh man, Paul Stanley, he's he's a front man for sure. He's got he's got that stage patter going on. Oh yes. You know, listen to those live albums, people. There's some great stuff yeah, in he's, there. He's good at that. Yeah. Uh. Any final thoughts on the movie before we give our real opinions about whether to see it or not? Is it a horror movie? <laughs> a horrible movie. <laughs> I was an abject horror watching it at about 12 or 13 years old. Yeah. Well, I can only imagine how, how disappointing that must have been. Oh, it was so cool to see them on the television, and, and then it was this. <sighs> then you found out that um, rock bands existed that weren't them, and uh, they were actually good. Oh, yeah. That happened. Then, then I didn't listen to them for years. Yeah. But I, I will listen to, like, some of their good stuff now. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, Will, what's your opinion on this movie? It's terrible. Don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's terrible in a must-see kind of way, isn't it? I don't know. I found it really dull for the most part. Oh. Yeah. 
I guess it's the uh, it's not as bonkers as like the Star Wars holiday special that came out here too. I find that unwatchable though. Oh, it's unwatchable too. But it, <laughs> at the same time, has this like I can never believe that what I'm really seeing it was aired on TV like. 30 minutes of just Wookiees growling at one another. Uh, this movie was just like, what is going on? It's so dull. There were a couple bits that were kind of entertaining. I liked when they were fighting the people under the roller coaster. Cause again, that seemed very 1975 Marvel comic. Uh, but yeah, it was rather dull otherwise. Uh, and, uh, they don't even address each other as their actual names. Yeah. It's like, uh, Hey, star child. Yeah. Yes. Demon. (laughs) You know, it's so weird. It's like, you guys have real names, right? Yeah. I didn't know if they did that. I couldn't remember if they actually referred to themselves as those character names ever outside of this movie or maybe the comic book, but <laughs> yeah. Um, Jolien, your opinion on this movie? Yeah. As I say, it's, it's just enjoyably bad. <laughs> it's, it's just uh, so bad. <laughs> I like Anthony Zerb and he gets a lot of screen time, especially in the European cat. Yeah. Uh, I think most of the, the, uh, incidental music is awful. Uh, but, uh, when they're in concert, it's quite fun to watch. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, all, I enjoy it. All the sound effects are the uh, like the library of sound effects that Hanna Barbera already owned. <laughs> so, like when they would shoot lasers or do anything, and it had all those sounds that you heard in every Hanna Barbera cartoon. Mm-hmm. You know, if you watch the Flintstones, it's like when the Great Gazoo shows up, and there's like. Those little zoink noises and little zaps and whatever. It's all recognizably Hanna-Barbera cartoon sounds. Yeah. Like they weren't going to spend money on, you know, making things sound like Star Wars. uh, (laughs) Or Hard Day's Night, for that matter. Uh, Yeah. I I have the same opinion um, that I had when I was a kid. It's disappointing garbage. But I watched all of it. And so much documentary stuff too. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like there's about a, I want to say 15 or 20 minute thing that is, uh, it's supposedly Peter Chris talking about, um, this experience. And I don't know that it is. And he was talking about some girlfriend that he had and what they were doing off screen and all this stuff. And it's like, I'm not sure that, it wasn't someone who just took some written interview with him and just voiced it like a voiceover, but there is a bunch of interview footage of the band members talking about the movie and they're actually being pretty candid about it. And that's interesting. But every time they bring it up with Ace or Peter, they're just like, yeah, we were not into it. We didn't want to do it. It was garbage. You could tell it wasn't good. And, uh, they were ahead of the curve. It was bad. So, uh, yeah, it's unwatchable, but please watch it, as I guess uh, <laughs> I recommend it. And any interview footage that you can watch that's uh, related to this is definitely worth doing. Uh, 
so I can't say much more than that. Um, just drink Black Ace Freely's until you black yeah. out. Recommended. Yeah. yeah Don't no, drive. Yeah, there's not a lot of still frames of, of the um, stuntman who, who doubled him. Oh, the other thing we could have done instead of a Black Ace Freely was a, um, a Harry Paul Stanley. <laughs> or a smooth. That's a weak brain. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So Paul Stanley has a very hairy chest, and apparently the um, the stunt man that doubled him had a very smooth chest. So they glued chest hair onto him. So, oh, okay. so I, yeah, guess, I, I guess a yeah. I guess a smooth Paul Stanley would be the better name. Yeah, that's more of a drink. Yeah, yeah but as well as Harry Paul Stanley's a strain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the stunt man was uh, Glenn Wilder. Yeah. For uh, Paul Stanley. But apparently, uh, Paul Stanley played the title role in uh, the Toronto production of Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Musical. I heard about that. Yeah, yeah and apparently it was good as that. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder if there's any video of that. Yeah, if I knew any dialogue, I would I would do the Paul Stanley voice for you guys, but I don't know any <laughs> anything from the Phantom of the Opera. Uh, and God, who was the? F- I'm trying to think. Okay, so we had Buddy Joe Hooker. Um, we yeah, had... I, I've got them all down here. Uh, Gene Simmons was played by David Ellis for some of the stunt stuff. Yeah, and there was some there was some uh, something about one of the fight scenes where I guess Buddy Joe Hooker got mad that um, Peter Chris actually punched him or something. And uh, ah! it was, was going to like want to hit him back, but uh, was advised not to, I guess. I don't know because I would assume Kiss's lawyers could beat up your lawyers when it, when it came down to it. So um, yeah, maybe next time uh, we'll come up with a recipe for a smooth Paul Stanley. <laughs> or a, or a Peter Chris punch. <laughs> there you go. A Buddy Hooker, a Buddy Joe Hooker punch. Uh, hey, Catman, do you have any of that punch left? <laughs> uh, so, anything else before we get out of here, guys? Uh, I don't think so. Quarantine going okay for you both? Oh, I've got cabin fever. Oh, yeah? You're not going to run amok, are you? I hope not. I'm going to go protest. (laughs) (laughs) I read somebody that uh, who who wrote that they they had missed in the last however many years of watching zombie movies, 30 years or something. Uh, They had missed the part where there would be protesters uh, declaring that they had freedom to be bitten by zombies. (laughs) You know, that's that, yeah. that's a pretty good uh, parallel to draw because that's about what it's like. There are. I, I want to go to the mall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand why people would want to um, inject Lysol or run around not wearing a mask. But you know what? As long as you stand there holding an automatic weapon or a semi-automatic weapon while doing those stupid things, uh, I don't know. I can't argue with you. You can shoot the viruses. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. If you can nuke uh, hurricanes, you can shoot viruses. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. 
Uh, don't you feel so much smarter every time you turn on the news? Uh, uh, Unlike watching no. this movie, I feel dumber for having watched it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I feel like I could be president. I'm definitely smart enough. <laughs> you know, as far as quali- qualifications for the job. That, that ball is really high. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, okay, guys. Well, let's call it a show and uh, we'll figure out what to watch for next week and we'll show up with a brand new show. I don't know if we can top this, but. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I'll find something. I'll look for something tonight. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Well. Do us uh, Lost Empire. Oh, yes. maybe that's what we should do. Do you guys want to do Lost Empire? Uh, we can oh, get a if we can. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll figure that out. All right. All right. Well. Take care, everyone. Yeah. Take Rock. care. Love, love to your uh, families and so on. Yes. Yep. Stay safe. And uh, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Yeah. Thank you for listening. <laughs>